So, uh, as I said earlier, this summer we're going to be walking through the Sermon on the Mount. That is uh, Matthew, the book of Matthew, chapters 5 through 7. And it's important because this is um, the essence of being a follower of Jesus. In other words, when, when someone says, I'm a Christian, or when you check the box, Christian, as far as God's concerned, what you're really saying is... I am committed to living out Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Um, I think it's the most important section of Scripture. Once you cross the line of faith, like once you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he rose from the dead and died for sins, then the most important thing for you is Matthew 5 through 7 because um, it is... The teachings of Jesus lived out. It's how we're supposed to live our life. So I think it's extremely important for all followers of Jesus, for every Christian, to know Matthew chapter 5 through 7. To be very, very familiar with um, the content of Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And, and it's so important, and this is, now this is, just, this is just me, I feel like it is a parental responsibility for me to do anything I can for my children by the time they're out of the house, um, so by the time they're like 42, um, to know Matthew 5 through 7. Um, we don't, I've talked about this before, I, we, don't, we don't do the allowance thing. We generally pay for habits or things like that. Uh, we basically bribe our kids to, to do the right things. Um, but the biggest bribe, Spencer knows, the, the biggest payout will be when he memorizes Matthew 5 through 7 in its entirety. And he's about 70 verses in right now. Um, but I, I desperately want my kids, I can't control how they live um, when they're grown, especially. But I can do my best to make sure that deep in their hearts and minds is the plain teachings of Jesus. That's Matthew 5 through 7. So that's why every few years I try to go back to that in Sunday morning teaching. So that's what we're walking through. Now, um, Jesus starts off in Matthew 5 with three disclaimers. He's about to lay out his life teachings, um, but he gives three disclaimers. The first is called the Beatitudes, which basically here's a certain kind of mindset of these teachings, and you're blessed. When you adopt these mindsets and you're blessed because God's way of life is available to you. And then he goes on to say, you're the salt of the earth. And last week we talked about how salt in Jesus' day and time wasn't really about flavor. It was about like life vitality and that you had to manage your salt intake. Uh, because in a desert climate you had to be thoughtful about replenishing your salt supplies in your, in your own body and in your animals. So when Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth... He's saying, you have what the world needs. And he's talking about his teachings. So now we get to the third disclaimer right now. Before Jesus lays out, this is how you should live. So I'm going to read to you from Matthew 5 and start at verse 17. Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away... Not an iota, nor, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. 
Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So that whole thing is a disclaimer about what he's about to teach in the rest of 5 through 7. So let's walk through, and I'm going to start at, um, at kind of the, the, the 30,000 foot view. So Jesus says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law, I've come to fulfill the law. Now when, it, when we talk about the law and the prophets, that was ancient Jewish culture way of saying the Bible. The law was the first five books of the Old Testament. The prophets are all the books that are named after Amish people. Um, those, are, those are the prophets. So the law and the prophets is the Old Testament of the Bible. And Jesus is saying, don't think that I've come to abolish it. I've come to fulfill it. Now, for those of you Bible scholars out there, you may be familiar enough with like the book of Romans in the New Testament where Paul seems to say, um, uh, Jesus uh, put an end to... Much of the law in the Old Testament, meaning we're no longer bound to a lot of the laws that the Old Testament people were bound to. So we can enjoy bacon now because of Jesus. So how do we reconcile that with Jesus saying, don't think I've come to abolish the law? Well, this, is, this, is, um, uh, this was a part of the banter from rabbis in ancient days. So Jesus was a rabbi. He was a teacher and people followed him. And when you followed a rabbi, each rabbi had his certain set of interpretations of the Old Testament. They had a certain... And and so when he talks about relaxing commandments, it was called binding and loosing. And you would say, you would bind something when you'd say, that's off limits. You would loose something and say, but when you can't, you can do that. So they would take the Old Testament and they would say, here's what you can do and here's what you can't do to be faithful to the Old Testament. So uh, rabbis would look at each other and they would say, you flaming liberal, you are abolishing the law. And the rabbi would say, I'm not abolishing the law, I'm fulfilling it. I'm getting it right. So when Jesus stands before people and he says, I've come not to abolish the law but to fulfill it, what he's saying is right now, I'm going to give you a set of teachings. And this is the way you should live out the Old Testament of Scripture. So what we get in the Sermon on the Mount are the cliff notes of the Old Testament. That's why it's so beautiful. The Old Testament of the Bible reduced into three chapters? I'm in. Jesus says, what I'm about to give you is exactly how you should live out God's way of life. I've not come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it. Jesus is saying, what you're about to get is the good stuff. So, as the rabbi, Jesus is telling his followers, here it is. Here is my teaching. So, if we say we follow Jesus, if you say you are a Christian, you can understand then that this is a gold mine. This is a treasure trove for living out the Jesus kind of life, Matthew 5-7. through The next thing that Jesus does is he affirms Scripture. This is important because if we say we follow Jesus, it means we need to think like he thinks. 
We need to live like he lived. We need to approach things the way he approached things. And Jesus says that the word of God is timeless. Nothing will disappear from it. Jesus affirms the importance of Scripture. And so if you say you follow Jesus, then in your life there should be evidence that you have a profound appreciation for the word of God. Elsewhere, Jesus says, man will not live, people will not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus says, this life is not just sustained by physical food. It is sustained when we decide that we are going to approach Scripture and make it a part of our life. Psalm 1 says that if we become students of the Word of God, if we meditate and contemplate and go to Scripture and make it a part of our life, we are like a tree planted by a stream of water that bears fruit in season and out of season. There's a strength that's implied there. So Jesus is about to give us interpretations of Scripture, but he... he, he, um, The disclaimer is that Scripture itself will never pass away. It's extraordinarily important. I want to look to you. I want to look with you. um, Hebrews 4. This, for me, is one of the most important passages in the entire Bible. And if we say we follow Jesus, we have to decide what do I believe about the Bible? Do I believe the Bible is true or not? I mean, that's an important decision to make. Do I believe the Bible's true? And if you believe it's true, then here's what it says about itself, okay? For the word of God, Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing to the division and soul of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So listen to that language because it sounds a little bit like sacrilegious or weird. Okay? Living, active, discerning. Hebrews 4 personifies Scripture. And you have to decide, what do I believe about that? Because generally, when I think about any book, it's passive. Like, I go to the book and I read the book And I think about the book, and I learn from the book, and I make changes based on the book. But I'm the active agent, and the book is the passive agent. But here we see that that the Bible says about itself that the Word of God is living and active and discerning. Now, I don't even know what to do with that, but I believe it. And if I believe it, that means when, when instead of me reading Scripture... It's almost like me going to a doctor or me going to a physical trainer or something like that. And and it is doing work on me. Somehow it's actively doing work on me. And so here we have God saying, this will change you. Not you will be changed as you think it through or as you... This will work on you. And in my experience, somehow, 
that's exactly what happened. So I want to share with you, and I've debated about this. This is, this, this is weird for me. Um, I, I'm gonna, the, the, this sounds arrogant, but I'm going to tell you my story because I, I believe that, that it should be your story as well. So this is like you know, any kind of testimonial. I bought a product that did this. It's great. You should buy it too. Like that kind of a thing, okay? <clears throat> when, I was, <clears throat> when I was in um, elementary school, when I was like fourth or fifth grade, I was confirmed in my Methodist church, Wesley United Methodist Church in Maslin, Ohio. And um, I was given this little blue uh, Bible. And I read it, and I read it, and I read it, and I read it. I loved it. I just read it. And then when I was in like, you know, 7th, 8th, ninth grade, somewhere in there, when I was your age, my, my, my parents got me for Easter this, this um, life application Bible, and I brought it up here a few months ago and showed it. Um, still have it. And I read, and I read, and I read, and I read. And if Hebrews 4 is true, then that means that those hours that I spent, I mean, it's, it's very nerdish, I know. But those hours that I spent, it <clears throat> was doing something to me. And, and what I've noticed, here's what I've noticed. <clears throat> I don't, I haven't like lived this problem, trouble-free life. I am certainly not any more like, pure or godly than anybody else, very much identify with King David who said, I'm, you know, filthy rags is the best I got spiritually. Or Paul who, who said, I'm the chief of sinners. I keep on doing that which I hate. So um, it, it's not like all of a sudden I'm better than anybody or goody-goody or anything like that. But what I can say is that there is a toughness of soul like a, a, a spiritual kind of toughness, a, a clarity, a certainty that's there. And I believe, I can't prove it, but I believe that it's a result of those hours spent reading this ancient book about people I've never met. But it's done its work. Because what I started to notice in my 20s is that while I have nothing like pastoral to offer people, I'm not like, you know, I don't have those, those meaningful Hallmark-type phrases, pick-me-ups, and, and I don't have like this velvety smooth voice that's soothing. Um, people generally wanted me around in crisis, and I think there's just this perceived spiritual anchor toughness and I see it in people I see it in people who study scripture and I see it only in people who are familiar with scripture who go to scripture regularly and I think that you can go to scripture and learn from scripture for right reasons and wrong reasons I'll tell you more about that in a little bit but I think regardless when you study scripture God toughens you now here's the thing a lot of acquaintances in the city and I know that in Brunswick, almost everybody has some kind of a church background. But what I see, and this is a little bit judgmental, so forgive me, it just is what it is, is that many, 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 many people who have a church background, when things get tough, there's nothing. 
I mean, it, it, it's shallow. There's just there, there's no certainty. There's no clarity. They melt. They fall apart. But I don't see that from people that I know who make Scripture a regular part of their life. And in my own life and in my own story, there is a toughness. There, there, there is a clarity that comes only from Scripture. And so, and so here's my point in this. I think you need, and I'm going to be bold in saying this, I believe that you need to make Scripture a regular part of your life if you're going to have the kind of clarity and certainty and fulfillment that you need and that I believe everybody wants, especially in times of crisis. So I want to make a suggestion that you just start with Matthew 5 through 7. You can download Bible apps. You can take one of the Bibles that's in front of you if you don't have one. Um, I want to suggest that you commit to reading Matthew 5 through 7 regularly couple times a week until you really know it well. Matthew 5 through 7, again and again and again and again until you really know it well. Another suggestion would be to download what's called the Daily um, Audio Bible, DAB it's called, and um, it's 99 cents, but it's a series of daily readings that are a half an hour and on your drive to work, doing yard work, cleaning the house, folding clothes, morning coffee on the deck, whatever it is that you would commit to a new lifestyle or or maybe recommit to a current lifestyle of taking in Scripture regularly and believing Hebrews 4. That somehow all you have to do, it doesn't say you have to understand everything you read, all you have to do is approach this word and it will do something to you. So I would suggest you start with Matthew 5 through 7 and then once you have that down, work your way larger to the teachings of Jesus, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, till you have that down and then go beyond. Um, But at the beginning, when Jesus is about to lay out his way of life, the first thing he does is he says... Um, you need to understand the eternal value of Scripture. And so if you want to follow Jesus, that's like priority number one. Now he closes out by by saying, um, uh, unless your righteousness surpasses the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. That's like him saying, unless you are, unless you live differently than the current spiritual leaders you see in ancient Jewish life, you're not going to come close to God's way of life. And here's what I think that, that he meant by that. He, he's, the whole thing is wrapped up in, in, in Scripture because he says, my teachings in Matthew 5-7 through 7 are really just the Scriptures lived out. And he seems to say, unless your approach to Scripture is different than the Pharisees and the scribes, You'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So here's the two different ways. I I think you can approach Scripture so that you know more than everybody else. And so that you can see what everybody else is doing wrong. 
And I know plenty of, of, of people who that, they know a lot about the Bible and they use it to make other people feel bad. Or, you can have a better righteousness than the Pharisees did in Jesus' day and time. And you can approach Scripture inviting God to change you. And I think what we'll see is that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I want you to read Scripture. I want you to know Scripture. I want you to know God's way of life for yourself. Not to like judge everybody else. Because what we're going to see in the Sermon on the Mount in the next couple of weeks is it all comes down to really two things. There are the things that God wants you to do to love other people. To actively love people around you. And then there are the things that don't necessarily benefit other people, but they're exercises in you trusting God more. So everything you read is to either help you love people more or help you trust God more. And Jesus seems to say that is a righteousness that surpasses religion. So this is the disclaimer. And and from here on out, for the rest of the summer, we'll be looking at the different actual teachings for living our life differently. But the, 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 the final disclaimer is, if you're going to follow Jesus, then you need to be incredibly committed to Scripture, making it a regular part of your life, but doing so in such a way that flips it internal versus saying, here's how I'm better than everybody else, and is committed to doing it in order to trust God, if for no other reason. So, I hope that you leave here committed a couple times this week to reading Matthew 5-7 through in its entirety, believing Hebrews 4 that somehow it is going to change you. I want to do one more song. I want to invite you to, uh, to stand. And during this song, if there's anything you need to pray about, I'll hang out up front and um, just come on up. We'll pray together. God... Thank you for your word. Thank you for the work that it does on us. I want to pray that that our hearts and minds would be open. And as we approach you and your word, we would feel the change. We would experience the clarity and the certainty. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.